I invite you to open your Bibles with me to the last book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi. Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3. We're down to the final message in our walk through the minor prophets, those 12 books at the end of the Old Testament. Minor prophets are minor not because they are of lesser significance, but because they're shorter as opposed to the longer major prophets. And we have uh, we've introduced ourselves to the first 11 of those prophets, and now we'll look at the book of Malachi. Malachi in Hebrew means my messenger. And in Malachi chapter 1 and the opening verses of Malachi 3, uh, that word Malachi, that term Malachi, is in the opening verses of both of those chapters. And so uh, we don't know if this prophet was literally named Malachi or if uh, the name Malachi is just a way of him referring to himself as God's messenger. He's the last of the prophets. He's prophesying sometime around 450 B.C. The temple has been rebuilt and there was a short spurt of revival But about 80 years have passed, and the people's uh, spiritual fervor has begun to wane. And so Malachi is sent by God with a message. It's a very important message. In English, Malachi's uh, book has four chapters. In Hebrew, it has three chapters. But it's a significant book for a number of reasons. One, the New Testament writers quote from the book of Malachi at least 16 times in the New Testament. So they saw it as very important. Malachi's uh, prophecy predicts the coming of the forerunner who you and I know, thanks to Jesus naming him, to be John the baptizer, John the Baptist. And so uh, for that reason, it's very important. Uh, It's also very important because uh, Malachi is the last of the voice of God speaking for 400 years. Now, there were other books written that are not included in our, in our Bibles. Uh, but as far as a, a word from a prophet, Malachi is the last one. And, uh, you know, the, the words of the prophets, they were the words of God. The prophets would say, thus saith the Lord. Here's what the Lord says. And so when the people heard them, they heard them as God speaking. But after Malachi... There is a silence from God. There is a, there is a prophetic silence for 400 years uh, until we see the coming of uh, Jesus and the, the forerunner, uh, John the Baptist. So Malachi's word to his people and to us is, is very, very significant. The title of this message is John Dillinger versus John the Baptist. The reason for this is very simple. As you read the book of Malachi, Malachi presents us with two options. One option is working with God in the fulfillment of God's plan for you. The other option is working against God. We can either work with God or we can work against God. Now, just in the event that you go to sleep halfway through my reading the Scripture, I want you to get that that's the gist of this message. You can either work with God or you can work against God. God has a plan for your life. 
It doesn't matter who you are, where you've come from, how old you are, how young, whether you're male or female, white, black, whether you are Hispanic, doesn't matter what your job is, what the amount of your bank account is. God has a plan for you. It is the best plan for your life, although there will be times for all of us that we're not totally convinced of that. But it will always be the best plan for your life and mine. But throughout our lives, as God reveals His plan to us, we have a choice to make. We can either work with God or we can work against Him. If we work with God, although it won't be trouble-free and it won't be without potholes and dangers and struggles, it will be the best life for us. Or we can work against God, and no matter how promising and uh, how, how much promise of happiness that working against God may promise us, it will always result in ruin. And so for you and me, the choice is very simple. God has a plan for us. We'll either work with Him. Or we'll work against him. Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. I will send my messenger, my Malachi, who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly, the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness, and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, as in former years. So I will come to put you on trial. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless and deprive the foreigners among you of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. I, the Lord, do not change. That's why you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the, into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your field will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Then skip to Malachi chapter 4, verse 5. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, throughout your word, you lay before us two options. And while so much in our lives is more complicated than two options, 
while so many decisions in life are a lot harder and challenge us with greater intensity, we know that at the root of the greatest thing we need in life, we have two options. There is the way of the Lord, and there's the way against the Lord. There is the way of the godly, and there's the way of the ungodly. And Lord, we have the choice. We can work with you, or we can work against you. And Lord, the temptation is great to work against you. The world promises us prosperity and happiness and fulfillment and joy and pleasure. And it's not until we get into what the world offers us, and it's not until it's virtually too late that we realize that all the happiness and the pleasure and the prosperity that the world offers is tainted. It's sour. It's molded. And it's cankered. And it's only then, a lot of times, that we realize that the way that you offer us is the way to true fulfillment. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us again now. For all of us, every person in this room, Lord, needs to be reminded. I need to be reminded that the way of the Lord is the way that leads to life. The way of the Lord is the way to contentment. The way of the Lord is the way to true fulfillment. And so, Lord, I pray that we'd choose Jesus. Help us to hear Malachi urging us to choose the right way. In Jesus' name, amen. Well... I believe that what Malachi offers us is a choice between two Johns. On the one hand, there's John Dillinger, and on the other hand, there is John the Baptist. Uh, On the screen up here, there are two pictures. The person on the left is, that's an actual photograph of John Dillinger. The photograph on the right is actually an artist's rendering of John the Baptizer. We don't have a photograph of John the Baptist. We don't know exactly what... He looked like, well, we have some clues. It's, it's doubtful that he washed his hair a whole lot. He wore uh, smelly clothes and his breath was not too good. Grasshopper smelling, whatever grasshoppers chewed up would smell like after you've digested them really good. He came out of the desert. Uh, the type of person that I doubt most Baptist churches would want as a pastor, but they might like to have him as an evangelist for a three-day service, a series of services. I don't know. Whatever the case, uh, this is uh, an artist's perception of what John the Baptist may have looked like. I put that up there because I believe that these two pictures symbolize the choice that, or the two choices that Malachi gives us. John Dillinger. John Dillinger was born on June the 22nd, 1903, and he died on July the 22nd, 1934. He was 31 years old. He was born in Minneapolis. He was born into a middle-class family. His dad was a grocer, made a pretty good living in the Indianapolis area. He grew up in the city. He was a city boy, this John Dillinger. When John was three years old, his mother died. He loved his mother, even though he was only three when she died. He was, he was close to her, as close as a three-year-old can be to his mother. Uh, six years later, when John Dillinger was nine years old, his father met another woman and remarried. 
a woman who became John Dillinger's stepmother. He never did like her. He never came to accept her. He constantly resented her. And he uh, lived out his resentment and his anger by doing rebellious things. Whatever his dad would tell him to do, John Dillinger did the opposite. And that was especially the case if his stepmother had the audacity to say, John, you ought to do this or you ought to do thus. And so whatever she said do, John Dillinger would do just the opposite. He decided to steal a car. It was the first thing that he ever stole. Just out of excitement and adventure, he decided to steal a car. It got him in trouble with the law. And so he uh, decided to... Uh, leave Indianapolis and join the Navy. Join the Navy, actually got on board a ship. But the same trouble with authority that he had with regard to his father and with regard to his stepmother carried over, especially into his relationship with his superiors in the Navy. And so uh, at one point where when his ship uh, uh, came into port in Boston, Massachusetts, John Dillinger left the ship He went AWOL, and he returned to the Indianapolis, Indiana area. He was a notorious gangster. And in a period of about nine months, he created more terror in the Midwestern United States than most any criminal has ever up until the modern era. He robbed over 24 banks in that nine-month period. He was so bold and fearless that he robbed four police stations. Now, it's one thing to rob a bank, but to rob a police station. He robbed a police station. Over the course of robbing 24 banks and at least four police stations and numerous other people and businesses, he killed 12 different people. Among them, he killed prison officers, police officers, federal agents. He he killed other gangsters, and he killed civilians. He was in jail three times. The first time he was in jail was over uh, the stealing of something. It was uh, minor, but it was armed robbery, which made it major, He and two other of his colleagues, the two other colleagues pled not guilty and they were convicted and sentenced to uh, a long prison term. And John Dillinger, at the suggestion of a family member, decided to plead guilty, thinking that by doing so he'd receive a lighter sentence. They sentenced him to over 10 years, of which he served eight and a half years in the federal penitentiary, and it bittered him. It embittered him. And when he got out, rather than learning his lesson to relent and submit to authority, he decided to rebel even further against authority. On July the 22nd, 1934, John Dillinger, who was wounded and on uh, running from the, the uh, authorities, decided to go see a movie. He had two women who accompanied him. One of the ladies was a Romanian immigrant who was here illegally, her name was Anna, and the federal authorities had already informed her that she was about to be deported back to Romania. How she got in touch with John Dillinger, I don't know, but she decided to work that to her advantage, and she called the authorities and said, I'll make a trade for you. I will give you John Dillinger if you agree to get the authorities away from deporting me back to Romania. And so she told them, 
that she and another lady would be accompanying John Dillinger to the Biograph Theater, Chicago, Illinois, to see a gangster movie starring Clark Gable. They went in. They enjoyed the movie. Federal agents were stationed outside. One particular federal agent was just at the side of the entrance to the hotel, I mean, to the movie theater. And when John Dillinger came out, this agent, as a signal to other agents, was to put a cigar in his mouth and light it. When John Dillinger came out, the agent put the cigar to his mouth and Dillinger saw him and suspected that something was up. He turned, reached in his pocket for a revolver that he had with him. And when he did, three other federal agents gunned him down. And it was the end of John Dillinger. He'd escaped from prison twice. And the second time he escaped from prison, they thought he'd done it at gunpoint He had something that looked like a gun. It was a piece of wood that he'd whittled into the shape of a gun. And federal authorities were afraid of him because it and let him out. John Dillinger. His story is one of going in back and forth dispute with authority. He was constantly arguing with those in authority. His was was a, a life of refusing to submit to anybody who was over him, whether it was his dad or his stepmother or uh, a person that he worked for or his Navy captain or if it was a federal agent or whoever it was. He was in constant dispute with figures of authority. I raise the issue of John Dillinger because if you study Malachi, you will notice that there are seven times that Malachi presents God's people in a dispute with God. And the dispute uh, carries a very basic form. It has a three-part three uh, series of accusations. The, the first part is God makes an accusation against the people. He accuses them of something. That's the first part. The second part is the people uh, offer a rebuttal by asking a question back to God. And then the third part is God gives an answer. Now, let, let me show you an example of uh, this three-part, a three-part dispute that we find in the book of Malachi. If you have your Bibles with you, you can open to Malachi chapter 1. Malachi chapter 1. And the dispute begins with verse number 2. Malachi chapter 1, verse 2. And here's God's statement. Here's God's statement. I have loved you. All right, that's God's statement. That's the beginning of the accusation. It doesn't look like an accusation, but it is. I have loved you. And then the people counter him with a question, a, a question in the form of a rebuttal. You've loved us. How have you loved us? They doubted God's love. God says, I, lo- I have loved you. They say, how have you loved us? And God comes back in the latter part of verse 2, going all the way through verse 5, and basically saying, I have shown my love for you in that I have destroyed the Edomites. That, that nation that is constantly being against you, constantly been a thorn in your, in your side, I have destroyed them. You don't have to worry about them anymore. I've loved you. How have you loved us? I destroyed the Edomites. I've destroyed your enemies. Okay, you see how, you see how this, this basic form of the, this, this dispute goes. Well, there are seven of those in the book of Malachi. Uh, in chapter 1, beginning with verse 6, Uh, God says this, he says, a son honors his father, 
A slave honors his master. If I am a father, where is the honor that is due to me? If I am your master, where is the respect that is due to me? You, who are priests, show contempt for my name. That's his accusation. You have shown contempt for me. And the people come back with a question. How have we shown contempt for your name? And then God's answer to their question, by offering defiled food on the altar. In other words, uh, instead of offering uh, perfect animals without blemish, they were offering animals that were blemished. Some of them were blind, some of them were lame, some of them had marks on them that showed some sort of blemish. They weren't offering the very best that they could uh, offer God. You have, you have defiled, you have offered defiled food on my altar. Well, that went right into another accusation. You've offered defiled food on my altar. Then their question, how have we defiled you? Verse uh, verse number 7. How have we defiled you? And God says in verse 8, by saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. He says, when you offer blind, blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor, he says. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty. And you go back and forth, back and forth with these disputes. And what you, what Malachi is picturing for us is he's picturing God's people who are, instead of working with God to fulfill God's plan in their lives, they're working against God. They're constantly arguing with God. Do you ever find yourself arguing with God about his plan for your life? And you think, you think that you have a plan that's better than God's plan? Are you kidding me? There are people today who they know God has a plan for their lives. God has made it crystal clear that he has a plan for their lives, has even shown them a lot of what that plan is. And yet they have backed up and said, God, I really don't need your plan. I have a plan for my life. I think it's better. It'll make me happier. It'll make me wealthier. It'll please me more. It'll be more content, offer more contentment, more more fulfillment. But the problem is, it's working against God. At, at, at pivotal points in your life and mine, we have to stop long enough to ask the question. I need to stop and ask the question. Am I working with the Lord or am I working against him? Am I working with him in his plan for my life, which is always the best plan, or am I working against him? John Dillinger was all the time working against authority Malachi pictures a people who were working against the authority of God. And it culminates with a dispute in chapter 3, verse, beginning with verse 6. He says, Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and you've not kept them. Return to me. God is saying, return to me. And when you do, I will return to you. But then they came back. Instead of saying, yes, Lord, we'll return to you, they they backed up and said, how are we supposed to return to you? That's verse 8 of chapter, uh, verse 7 of chapter 3. Then verse 8, he says this. Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you have robbed me. They ask a question. How are we robbing you? How can you rob God? He says, in tithes and offerings. You're under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. You're in possession of stolen goods. 
Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. They were in possession of stolen goods. I wonder. I wonder... um, in churches that, that have met for worship this Sunday morning, I wonder what percentage of the people, what percentage of us, have been sitting in the pew with stolen goods. What got the federal authorities after John Dillinger, to begin with, was not that he killed 12 people. He did that later. You know what got them onto him to begin with? He was in possession of a stolen car. He was in possession of stolen goods. Malachi said one of the ways that that you can tell whether or not you are working against God is whether or not you are in possession of stolen property. What stolen property? Listen, if I fail to bring, this is just practically speaking, if I fail to bring my tithe into the storehouse, my 10% into the storehouse, if I fail to do that, according to Malachi, I'm in possession of stolen goods. Seven different disputes that indicated a stubborn unwillingness to submit to the authority of God. Ashley, I want you to go back to that previous slide. John Dillinger. You know, he's a good looking guy. He was so good looking that when they did a movie about him three years ago, you know who they got to play him? Johnny Depp. Some of you ladies think that Johnny Depp's the best looking thing next to white bread. But he was in possession of stolen goods. Or you can be like John the Baptist. Malachi says in chapter 4, he says, See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you, Before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes, and he, here's what he will do. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents. He says, he will prepare your way. In Mark, the gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verse 2, Mark opens up his gospel saying, uh, this is the gospel of, of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. That's a quote from Malachi. The voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord and make straight paths for, for him. That's Isaiah chapter 40. And so here, here's what you have. The New Testament looks back on this prediction of a messenger coming of Elijah coming as John the Baptist. And Malachi said, when he comes, he will do not bad things, but good things. He will bring parents together with children and children together with parents. And he will make the hearts of the people prepared for working with the Lord. And so do you see that Malachi is offering us two choices? We can be like a John Dillinger. 
always working against authority, always working against God, never working with His plan for our lives because it's not good enough for us. Or we can be like John the Baptist, who was working with God, was willing to relent with God, to God. We see that most perfectly the day he was in the Jordan River and he was baptized. And you remember that day? And Jesus came to him. And John, and John the Baptist looked up and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Jesus comes to him and he says, I need you to baptize me, John. I need you to baptize me. This is Jesus. Now John, he's like, I'm sure you and I would feel. John looks up and he says, Lord, <laughs> me? Baptize? I need, I need for you to baptize me. And you've come asking me to baptize you. I'm not even worthy to hold your sandals while you walk down the road. And what did Jesus say? He said, John, we need to do this because this fulfills all righteousness. Now, whatever that may mean, the point of the story is what happened next. John then relented and baptized Jesus. In other words, John the Baptist was willing to work with God, with the Lord, concerning God's plan for his life. And so again, the choice in Malachi comes down to, you can be someone who works against God and against authority, Someone who says, nobody's ever going to tell me what to do. I'm going to run my own life. My family's not going to tell me what to do. My church is not going to. God's not going to. Or we can be like John the Baptist who said, I don't understand everything about this plan. But God, I'm going your way. I believe that your way is the best way for me. I believe that what you have in store for me is the best thing for my life. And I'm going that way whether I understand all of it or not. Malachi offers us two ways. The way of working against God or the way of working with God. And from time to time, everybody in this room has to make that decision. What better Christmas gift can you give the Lord? And what better Christmas gift can you give your family than to offer them a person who has said to the Lord, I'm yours. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Every one of us, from time to time, is confronted with one of two ways. We can either work against you or work with you. We can either resist you or we can receive you. We can either say, Lord, your will be done, or we can insist that the Lord say to us, okay, your will be done. But Lord, my prayer for every person in this room now is that today, on the Sunday before Christmas 2010, we will make a commitment to go your way, not ours. Lord, I pray for someone who is here who may need to receive Christ because he or she has never invited Christ into their lives. I pray for Christians here 
Lord, who are confronted, as we all are from time to time, with this decision, God's way, my way. And Lord, I pray that your spirit would would be so impressioned upon uh, the hearts of our people that we will stand up and say, Lord, I'm yours. I pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.